You're listening to Femme Lanc. I'm your host, Katie Davey, and I'm on a mission to raise the policy conversation around gender and inclusion. Today, we're talking about politics, social media, and self-care. By the time this episode is released, we'll know the results of the 2019 election. However, we did record this a few days before. I got the inspiration for this episode when I was recording last week's episode. I was honestly feeling really overwhelmed about providing election commentary because I've been feeling pretty upset, actually, about many of the elements of this campaign. I also felt like spending time on Twitter was adding to that negativity that I was feeling. Luckily, just as soon as I had the idea of the episode, I also thought of the perfect person to chat with. Kaylee Reed is a successful entrepreneur who started her journey as a mental health advocate and co-founder of Wear Your Label. Her journey has led to a successful business built around influencer marketing, and she also hosts a podcast called Self-Care Sunday. So I wanted to talk to Kaylee about how we can practice self-care in a negative political social media environment, and especially people like me who rely on social media as a tool for business. We talk about setting boundaries on social media, the difference between personal and business use, where we both were when we found out Donald Trump was elected, the role social media now plays in politics, and last but not least, some tools that we can use to have a better experience on social media while still being informed advocates for change. I feel like this episode turned a little bit into Kaylee coaching me through my own social media anxieties, but I hope you still find value in our conversation. You can find Kaylee's podcast wherever you subscribe to podcasts and on Instagram at selfcaresunday. I hope you enjoy. I want to start by kind of talking about self-care and social media overall. Um, I found it to be really difficult to disconnect from social media, particularly since I've started um, this podcast and started Femmonk because I feel almost like an obligation to always be present on social media um, through both my personal and through kind of this business, I guess, platform as well. So I'd love your thoughts on how to actually strike a balance when your work intersects so much with like social media. Yeah, man, that is the question of our generation because I feel like everybody is not only so connected and glued to their phones for personal lives, but for work, like so many of us use our phones and our laptops every single day for work. And then this new generation of freelancers and people that are working from home, working remotely, you can't disconnect. Like it's a part of your work. It's a part of getting paid to be present on social media all of the time. Um, And if you want to grow something that you're working on, like a podcast or like a side hustle or a business, you need to be present. You need to be posting. So it's something that I've definitely struggled with um, and something that I feel like I've I've developed a better balance for over the past year or so. Um, but there is, even like this past week, I posted on my podcast, Self-Care Sunday, um, talking about how I've been feeling really overwhelmed lately. And so the timing of this episode that we're doing together is really kind of perfect So my thoughts in terms of how to strike a balance on social media, it's funny because we all talk about being authentic online and how everybody wants to see this realness, but the reality is that if you are constantly posting your authentic self and being present on your phone, you can't be present in person. And so something that I've 
started doing is taking all of my content and trying to capture everything as authentically as possible in the moment, but not actually posting it until either hours later, sometimes days later, depending on how relevant or like how time sensitive that content is. And so one reason why I started doing this was a conversation that I had with another influencer who actually started doing it for safety reasons, um, where she found she couldn't post in real time the location that she was at because she would find people coming up to her that followed her on Instagram or found her on the internet and saw that she tagged the location and they would come up to her and it became like kind of freaky that people could see exactly where she was in real time every second of every day. And I started thinking about that a lot and not that I'm famous or most people on Instagram are famous enough to really be too freaked out by it. But just this conversation of privacy, of course, layered on top of what it means to find a balance with social media, I think is something that we've kind of let go of. Um, Not a lot of people think about who is going to see their content when they're posting on a public platform like Instagram. So obviously you want to be present for work and post for your followers, but the reality is like literally anybody in the world can look up and find you and find out so much information about you. So that kind of got me thinking further about the boundaries that I wanted to set with Instagram and social media and how can we be authentic on these platforms while still remaining, while still having private lives, I guess, and not feeling like our entire lives need to be on Instagram and need to be on social media, but how do we still show uh, the authentic pieces of ourselves? And so I think it's becoming something where authenticity is in a way curated, (laughs) Um, which is, you know, ironic in itself, but we almost need to be curators of the content that we're posting in of our lives. And not to say that we need to curate only the highlights or only the great things that are happening and only showing that, but curating in a sense of um, separating the time between taking content and what's happening in the moment and posting and kind of like post like back in the day, I say back in the day, but like 10 years ago, I just remember um, events like Christmas or New Year's Eve. I would literally have a digital photo camera that I would go to family events, take photos on my camera while still enjoying the moment with my family and friends. And then afterwards, like the day later, post an album of like 50 plus photos on Facebook from that camera. And it felt Like it feels silly to look back on that, but I almost feel like that's how we need to be going in the direction now when we talk about creating a balance. It's like instead of taking all of this content in the moment and posting immediately, why not take the content and kind of go back to the roots of our 10 years ago Facebook album days and take the content, then take the time to enjoy with your friends and don't worry about posting in the moment. Take that time post the next day. And it kind of gives you a breather from like feeling rushed to post. So that's something that has been a big boundary creator for me is just the timing of posting and not feel like not pressuring myself to rush to post things. 
so that I can enjoy the moment a little bit more. And then layering on top that privacy piece of being very conscious of who can see your content and when and where and how accessible are you making yourself to the entire world online. Um, Those two pieces have been how I've started to form these barriers for myself. Yeah, it's so important. And I think like such a interesting piece to add on to that or not even interesting, but kind of an important layer to that is like for you, social media is is your business, right? Like if you are taking time away, like you're potentially taking time away from like actual income generation or like making connections and things like that. And I think again, like that's something that's kind of new to me. Well, I say new, I guess we started Femlonk almost a year ago now, <laughs> but but even still like getting used to that, right? And like thinking about it in that way, like if like that, I've been putting a lot of pressure, I guess, on myself from that lens too, because there are lots of opportunities that I wouldn't get if I hadn't have started this platform. And so like, it's almost like looking at social media again as like a duty in a way which takes, yeah, like some of the fun out of it. (laughs) Yeah. And I think we also need to remind ourselves that it's a tool. So it's a tool to connect ourselves to our friends and family, but from a business sense, it's just a tool for your business. So obviously you can spend like endless hours on Instagram. Like if I told you how many hours a week I spent on Instagram, you would want to throw up because it's actually disgusting, but it is basically my full-time job. So that's kind of how I justify it, but it's still so important to create those boundaries, like you said. Um, But if somebody who is working on Instagram 24-7 basically can create boundaries, then I fully believe that everybody else can create boundaries too. Totally. So my like Instagram, well, I guess that sounds funny to say it that way, but I'm that way with Twitter. So like it would shock you. Like I can't even tell you how it's like bad that um, iPhones now have that like, what is it, the productivity app or whatever that like tracks how much time you spend on platforms. Like, oh my God, Twitter outnumbers like everything combined for me. And Twitter is such a terrible place. Like at least Instagram, it's like, oh, you see nice photos of people doing nice things. On Twitter, it's basically just like everybody screaming at each other and hating each other. So why I spend so much time on there, I don't know. But but I think like it kind of goes back to, I guess, the goals, right? Like Twitter very much is a place where more kind of like political folks are on you have like a lot of journalists and there is a lot more kind of I guess like news and political conversations happening and um and that's I think what attracts me to that platform but um but because the content is so negative and I honestly hadn't really noticed it until recently and I think it has amped up because of the federal election but I I was scrolling one day and was just like I, I actually think this is having a negative impact on my mental health. Like going on this platform is negatively impacting me, but I also like feel like I can't like not go on it. And that is when I was like, okay, <laughs> let's dig into this a little bit. <laughs> like why, why are we feeling this way? Um, but you mentioned something so interesting. Like when you talked about security, um, I had never thought about that until you just said it. And with Twitter, I kind of had like a viral post this summer and got like hundreds of new followers. And most of these people I don't know at all. And now that 
like I think that almost adds pressure because I feel in a way like these folks have expectations I guess of like what I'm going to say and like what my thoughts are going to be when in reality they probably literally don't care or think about it at all but that has added like an additional pressure for me on that platform but again it's like that very weird I guess like other side of the coin where I'm like I kind of I don't know if I'm even adding to the conversation do you know what I mean? I feel like I'm just like, this is, I'm like getting it all out, but. <laughs> get it out, girl. Get it out. This is the time. Um, no. And Twitter is a whole other ball game. Like you mentioned, it's completely different content than on Instagram. Instagram's very light and fluffy and aesthetic and cute. And Twitter is, uh, you would describe it better than I could. I don't use Twitter anymore, basically for that reason, um, I will get into a little bit of like, I feel like I was having these same feelings as you two years ago. Was it two years ago that Donald Trump was elected? Yeah, it'll be two years in November. Wow, that's crazy. Anyways, so two years ago, I was in a very similar headspace as you. And I basically, prior to where I am now in my political journey, um, I kind of along the way have gone from liberal to very, very radical feminist to like toned down feminist to more conservative feminist, if that's even a thing, to back to, I think, normal human being now, just having like very diverse opinions on things. But my very radical feminist phase was coming right out of university um, when Donald Trump was elected. And I remember spending hours, like probably three hours every day of my spare time, like this was not work-related, reading political articles, uh, reading tweets on Twitter, following on Twitter, uh, watching CNN for like hours before bed every night and just was so consumed with the political landscape leading up to that U.S. election. Maybe because in Canada, like things are not as intense and I feel like a lot of the American politics affect us here. And that was such a huge election that I was just following very, very closely. And I very specifically remember uh, the basically watching as the votes were coming in in my bedrooms, laying in bed, watching on TV, and they were predicting that Donald Trump had won. And I started crying with my boyfriend in bed. And he was like, are you okay? And I just felt so overwhelmed, not only from like consuming all of that really negative content leading up to the election, but then once the election happened, seeing how how the results turned out, And immediately afterwards, I was completely sunken in that hole of we live in a terrible world where people (laughs) are very hateful and spiteful. And I was very, very stuck in that. And so I feel like maybe that's how you're feeling now. And I've definitely not become as consumed with our election this time, but I 100% resonate with you. And I feel like everybody that is left-leaning has a memory of what they were doing or like how they found out when Donald Trump was elected president. And I'm very curious to hear what yours was. It was very similar actually to yours. Um, So 
Uh, I was working in the premier's office in New Brunswick at the time, and we actually had like a viewing party set up with like all of the caucus members, all of our staff. And for me, I was like going into this night and it was going to be this historic night. Hillary Clinton was going to be president. She was going to break the glass ceiling. It was like so much hope. And I was so excited about it. I even, I'm not even kidding. You had a t-shirt on that said Hillary for president. <laughs> I still have it. Um, and then we're like watching the results and the, the like gathering was like pretty, you know, pretty fun and light at the beginning. And, you know, we're watching results come in and we're like, okay, well, all right. And it's still kind of whatever fun and lighthearted. We're having like some conversations, like there were snacks, a few drinks, like it was, it was a fun night. And then we're watching it and we're like, oh my God. And people kind of are starting to do like the math, right? And they're like, well, and they're like, well, okay, well, maybe, you know, it's like maybe if this happens, maybe, and then it just like doesn't happen. And I remember the last, I don't know, maybe half an hour-ish leading up to the actual kind of final results, we were just like sitting in a hotel room, like just a handful of us, like staring at the TV. And I'm just like, what is happening? And actually my... um my VP finance from when I was president of the student union at UNB of all people calls me and is just like, are you okay? <laughs> I'm like, uh, I, uh, I don't know. Like I have no idea. Like I don't know what's happening right now. I can't process this. Like this is not what was supposed to happen. And it was just this like very strong disbelief in a way. But I think that that election obviously like really in a way capped off so much negativity in well I don't know capped off is not the right word I think like there was definitely negativity and definitely like you know kind of a rise in right-wing populism and kind of all of all of these things happening around the world but I think like that election was the almost like the turn of the tides and so it seems like every election since even in Canada has had so much more of a negative tone and like so much more of this combative narrative and not even just that it's just like literal fake news almost like people feel that they now have the ability and the right to say like you said like very hateful things about different groups of people and like it's just so disheartening and I think what is so what has been so tough for me in the last few days and in this election overall really is like, I think back actually to 2015 when Justin Trudeau was elected and and that I was like really happy about that. Like it was, you know, 10 years of Stephen Harper. Like I feel like that was really around the time that we were kind of becoming of age politically, like, you know, folks a bit older than us would say like that was Obama for them. But I think for us, it really was, Trudeau and so to see like this election play out and it doesn't have anything to do with like the actual like political ideology but everything to do with the fact that like I just haven't felt like there's been a real exchange of ideas I felt like it's just been such a negative campaign on all sides and it's just like very disheartening to think of like yeah like Canada almost succumbing to this negative rhetoric that's happening across the world and Twitter is where it is all at (laughs) I do remember um when Justin Trudeau was elected too and exactly how you just said feeling very hopeful feeling like this was 
a massive progressive leap, not just for Canada, but for kind of like leading the world in a way. Like Justin Trudeau made really big waves. The world loves slash loved. I don't know so much now, but when he was elected, it was a really big deal and it felt very hopeful. And this election does feel like we're moving backwards. And part of me wonders, is it really that this election in particular is more negative and hateful and that we're moving backwards? Or is this just the way that every single election always goes? Um, and because it swings back and forth and, you know, this time we're on the side where it's not swinging towards us, is that why this feels worse than than a few years ago? And is it because we're still relatively young and have not been around old enough to vote for many, many elections that this feels really impactful. Like I'm trying to kind of piece together, is this really as pivotal as it feels or is this how it always has been? And we're just like coming into adulthood now with our, I think this is the second federal election I've ever voted in. So now that we're coming into this age, is that why it's feeling more intense? Yeah, I've been thinking a little bit about that too. Um, And actually thinking about the role that social media is playing in this election and realizing that really the last election in 2015 was probably the first election where social media actually played a really big role. Um, Because before that, in like 2011, I mean, definitely social media was around, but it wasn't Like it wasn't in a way the primary news source for so many people, nor do I think like parties really understood the power of like sharing their message, good and bad, through directly through the platforms. Like they still, I think, were kind of, you know, filtered through the media. I think that maybe is playing a big role. Like that's kind of what I was thinking, like how the parties have this unfeathered access directly to voters in a way that they really have not had for a long time. So I think like that also is playing a role. I think that is maybe why we're seeing, because we have literally 24-7 access to content being put out by the parties and like everybody that either supports or does not support them, I think that is playing a really big role. And I think, again, like Twitter is is such a huge place for that. Like you're just getting all the time opinions and takes from everybody on everything that's happening. And and even though I'm sure, again, that has obviously existed in the past, it just maybe wasn't as accessible as it is this time around. So I feel like this episode was kind of initially framed as like, what can we do to make social media, like in, in this like political world right now, what can we do to practice self-care and social media? But I think like this has maybe this episode has become almost a form of self-care for like me. (laughs) But yeah, maybe let's like pivot a little bit back to that idea. And of course, we talked already about Donald Trump and when he won. um, But I actually remember seeing and I think it was a tweet of somebody being like, okay, so I just ate an entire cake like that is where I'm at right now. And although I would say we've all been there, (laughs) I'm more of like eating an entire pizza kind of gal myself, but um, there are definitely other maybe healthier ways of dealing with self-care overall and particularly like I would say like politically influenced self-care, which is also kind of crazy that that is even a thing. 
but it's totally a thing. So what are what are your favorite ways or like what it, what tools have you found that has helped you kind of again like cope with some of your self-care needs in relation to like social media and politics? This is hard because similarly to how I use Instagram for my business, it's a part of my everyday life. It's very important to my life and my business. Politics are a part of our everyday lives, and they're an important part, I would argue, to our everyday lives. And a lot of people, I think, tune out and choose to disconnect and avoid those conversations entirely, um, whether it's kind of out of disinterest or out of uh, an an act of self-care, of knowing that it's a negative space oftentimes to be in because you can be very consumed with heated debates and discussion and feeling hopeless and uh, consumed and overwhelmed on spaces like Twitter and Reddit. But I don't think that fully disconnecting is one, self-care, or two, an option at this point. Um, I think that it really comes back to this discussion around boundaries and how can we set healthy boundaries for ourselves so that we can still be engaged and informed citizens and political citizens that can have these discussions, which are very important, not only during election time, but throughout the entire year in our everyday lives. Like I said, like the the decisions that are happening um, impact our daily lives. And so I don't think it's an option to just to now and say, this is too negative. We need to shut off the TV and get off Twitter. I don't think it's that easy. I think if you're, you know, we'll see how this election turns out. Maybe some people will feel like they need a week off of Twitter, but I don't think it's a long-term solution. Um, so I really think, so for example, like thinking back to after Donald Trump was elected, I, this was something I was really struggling with. And I was like, okay, do I, keep watching CNN 24-7 on the background in my house? Do I stay on Twitter? Do I stay in these Facebook groups where where we're having these conversations? Do I completely tune out and go have a bath and read a book? And it became something that I needed to kind of experiment with myself to see what was a healthy level for me to be consuming this content and having these discussions And what I found for me personally um, became an important piece of the self-care puzzle is consuming less of that buzzy content that those two-minute news segments where it's all talking points, the very short snippet Twitter, Reddit threads where people are just really angry, consuming less of that and trying to focus my conversations in this realm to be a little bit more mindful and with people in person or people not necessarily physically in person, but people where I can have like a longer in-depth conversation with them versus the very like surface level, shallow tidbit pieces that are the pieces that really like I think tend to affect us negatively. Like the Fox News super quick segments where they're just saying all this crazy stuff and you're like, sorry, what? <laughs> like that I found is really not helpful. So disconnecting from um, certain pieces of content, 
but making an effort to still have those conversations and engage in like a more mindful and thoughtful way. And so once I started kind of seeing that that was more helpful for me, I realized that removing this layer of like constant 24-7 headlines that are basically all the same thing but repurposed every couple days, removing that layer of it, I was still informed. Like it, I think one of the issues is I, I felt like I needed to be really informed all of the time and up to date and part of the conversation and then I took a step back and realized it's the same conversation. There's very like maybe like every month there's a couple new issues or like a couple new big headlines, but it's not something you need to every single day be reading every article and listening to every news segment and like listening to the radio and all of those things. You don't need that all of the time. Or maybe in your case on Twitter 24 seven to see like what the latest thing is. Because as much I think that's like the pressure of social media is you feel like you're missing out if you're not on it, you're not reading it, you're not staying up to date. But the reality is like there's not that much new stuff that's like super important that's happening every single day. And so I kind of tuned back and created that as one of my boundaries of disconnecting from those pieces of content And then in order to still stay informed and stay knowledgeable on the topics, really focusing my energy into the one-on-one conversations, um, things that I felt were a little bit more meaningful, even like long-form podcasts, I made a point to, instead of watching like CNN or Fox News, listen to one conservative podcast and one liberal podcast um, a week. So I'm consuming both sides. It's not bias. I found that the podcast medium is a lot more uh, engaging and thought out and usually weekly is enough to get the lowdown on what's happened. And so even just those little things um, really kind of helped relax my mind and my anxiety because I wasn't constantly thinking about it and feeling like I needed to be in the in the depths of it all of the time. Yeah, I feel like I can definitely relate to some of what you said. And um, I think it's kind of funny you mentioned about like, yeah, taking a step back. And even if you miss, say, one day on Twitter, it's not like you're going to miss literally everything. Um, And my partner, actually, he doesn't have any social media on his phone, like nothing. Um, And he also just doesn't have Instagram or Twitter. He only has Facebook and he doesn't really go on Facebook. Um, But he he actually works for a political party. Like he has to stay informed. And I would say there are like every now and again when I'm like, oh my God, did you see what, I don't know, Elizabeth Warren tweeted or like, oh my God, like that's, and he maybe like hasn't, you know, seen the latest tweet. But other than that, like he's definitely not behind on the news So that, and I never thought about it like that until you just kind of said that, but that like, to your point shows me that even if I did take a day off Twitter or social media generally, I, there are definitely many other ways and probably better ways that I could be consuming content and getting like all, all sides. Um, I like what you said about podcasts too. I also listen to a number of essentially like news podcasts and I love them because they, they do typically like pick one or two key issues and dive into them a little bit deeper, but those are the issues 
of the week, or for example, or of the day maybe. And yeah, I find that also to be like a really good way to consume or to learn, both, well, actually learn, like I learn a lot, particularly about like international affairs that way. Yeah, no, I feel like those were really good tips. And you also reminded me of one of my personal commitments to myself, which I had, again, forgotten about a little bit. Um, And it's funny, yesterday I said to somebody, I was like, I feel like all I do is just tweet angry things at old white men. (laughs) And that's like literally how I was feeling yesterday. And I like kind of needed to remember that I made a bit of a commitment to myself that I would not one-off tweet something that I could instead perhaps send like directly to somebody in an email. So instead of being like, oh, well, this is a shitty policy because of this reason, I could maybe actually like email that person or that organization and be like, hey, you know, I've recognized some flaws with this thing and here are my, you know, proposals or I'd be happy to have a further conversation about my experience or opinions on this or something like that. And I think that goes back to what you said about like engaging authentically one-on-one in a meaningful way. So I'm going to try to re-internalize that as a takeaway. I love that. I think that's super smart because again, the, the issue with Twitter and social media when it comes to this political sphere is it's so surface level and it's a great, it can be a great tool to stay informed on every single detail, every moment of every day, but it's, it's so focused on the minutia and what I think politics and we really need at this point is to get away from that minutia and like kind of step back into what are the big picture goals and what are the real issues at hand? Like I'm, <laughs> I'm as much a person as you that I love to see, you know, what stupid thing has Donald Trump tweeted or like, what is this funny clapback remark that someone replied to this tweet? But at the end of the day, like that doesn't really do anything in terms of policy change or making a real difference in people's lives when it comes to these larger issues. So I love that idea of, okay, maybe instead of sending that tweet, you're going to send that email because that creates that larger dialogue about the actual issue versus just like putting something into the Twitterverse to be retweeted and then that's the end of it. Totally. And I think what you said as well, like it's not an option to disconnect from the political space and like obviously, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I will soon have two two degrees in political science. <laughs> um, but I think also like recognizing even like the privilege we have to be thinking about if we should and shouldn't engage because of like, you know, the fact that we're both like fairly well off white women. And for some people, like it has become such a toxic place that it's like not safe for them to engage yet by not engaging again, like that could dramatically impact like what services and things um, they or their community are being offered by these like governments Um, or by like the political space. So I think like that's also so important and um, like recognizing that adding to creating a negative or a hostile space is like, could yeah, could be more detrimental than helpful in many ways. I am so glad that you brought that up. And this is something that I try to reiterate on my podcast a lot because I talk a lot about my experience with mental health, but it, it rings true with a political experience too, and just experience as a citizen in this country, 
which is we can only speak from our own experiences and henceforth from our privilege. And I think having this conversation um, just is another encouragement that other listeners that can tune into this and are feeling similarly we are the ones that do need to remain engaged because we do have, in a way, the privilege to be frustrated but can still take the actions and have these conversations to move the policies forward. Whereas a lot of people, it's not just a frustration or, you know, a worry in the back of their head. It's like lived reality every single day. And I don't think it's fair to ask every single person to be fighting for what they need for like a basic life and to be able to enjoy what it means to be a Canadian. But for those of us that can learn to create those boundaries and separate and it's not something detrimental to your life every single day, it's like if you're listening and that's you – then it's just another reason why it's so important not to disconnect because we we can't let that discourage us from continuing these conversations that then propel forward those policies that people that can't have these conversations really need in place. Thanks for listening. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. You can follow along with the conversation on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Femlonk. And as always, you can reach me directly at katie at femlonk.com.